And so, you know, each of these platforms might loan itself more or less to your audience, but you have to sort of be a practitioner. This is what I preach again and again. You can't phone this stuff in. You can't get the intern uh, to post and assume that you've got the base covered on, you know, your social media strategy. Welcome to the Software Channel Partner Podcast, where you'll hear leaders of partner programs talk about their greatest challenges and most successful solutions. And now your host, Louis Gadima, the President of Revenue and Associates. Welcome to the Software Channel Partner Podcast, where we talk with leaders in software partner programs to learn about what's working today. And if you like what you hear in the podcast, please leave a review of it on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or whatever service you're using to listen to it on. That will help others find the podcast too. My guest today is Evan Kerstel, one of the leading, if not the leading, B2B social media consultant and influencers. He has over 280,000 followers on Twitter, although I think he'll say that the size of the following is not nearly as important as how you use it. His enterprise clients have included Qualcomm and CenturyLink, as well as startups and mid-sized companies. He is Chief Digital Evangelist and Co-Founder of Evira Health, a trusted social media partner to clients across the health tech landscape. He co-hosts the Talking Points podcast about the collaboration industry and telecom. What's he doing on a podcast about the channel? Well, he was Director of Alliances at Oracle and Director of Strategic Alliances at Sonus. But perhaps most impressively, I interviewed Evan before, and you can find that earlier interview in my Bullseye Marketing book. Evan. It's great to be talking with you again. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. You're one of my favorites in the Boston area and always enjoy catching up. Yeah, it's been too long since we saw each other in person, which we used to do more, but now you've moved to Southern New Hampshire. I am uh, in the underground bunker, uh, well protected, insulated from the uh, coronavirus here in the uh, mountainous regions of New Hampshire, yes. <laughs> well, good luck, and I hope you have many weeks of water and canned foods ready. Right, I'm off the grid, baby. Okay. So you, speaking of the grid, you studied electrical engineering in college. That's not the usual background for a social media consultant and influencer. Tell us about your career and how you became the B2B social media presence that you are. Well, I was a terrible engineer, so I, uh, none of my code would compile, and uh, I, NASA wasn't in my future, let's put it that way. So I pivoted to sales and never look back. And of course, when I mean sales, I mean customer engagement and marketing and biz dev and alliances. And um, it's been onward and upwards ever since. So how did you get involved with social media? You know, it's funny. I was sitting with my young son about 12 years ago at Chuck E. Cheese's and looking for something to entertain myself with and found this app called Twitter. Tweeted about Chuck E. Cheese being like a casino for kids. That's a good description. Right? And and so I remember that first tweet, and I was like, wow, there's a lot of people responded like, this is cool. This is like a a fun game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a game it was for for 10 or so years for me and just a sort of personal obsession on Twitter and even even LinkedIn and Instagram to a degree. But then a few years ago, I struck out as an independent to take this personal obsession, this sort of side hustle, if you will, to clients. And so I'm now working with who's who sort of out there in the enterprise and B2B tech world. Okay. So you have a pinned tweet where you ask, what's your social media strategy? And then you list a few potential goals, thought leadership, impressions, reach, website, referral traffic, 
content shares. Two others that you might have mentioned are connecting to industry influencers and leaders, generating actual leads and sales. What are your customers usually basing results on? What are they looking for from you? That's that's a great question. You, you know, in sales, it's all about the question, right? So I think you you nailed it. For me, I, I find most of my customers are really a bit lost in B2B social media. They know they have to be there. They know they have to post something and they know they should be doing it. So they assign a 24-year-old to run their global social media enterprise uh, and then wonder why they don't get results in particular. So for me, it's about uh, helping them with uh, not just reaching my audience, but best practices, tools, techniques, tricks, hacks, and other ways to really leverage social media to drive some tangible results. And businesses have different goals. Uh, many have lead gen and sales as the end goal. Others are looking for branding. Others, uh, investor and partner engagement. Others are interested in um, thought leadership. And so there's many uh, goals and opportunities as there are opinions on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've learned a lot uh, uh, doing this over, you know, sort of 10 or 12 years personally and now professionally. And so for me, it's a lot about sharing my insights and expertise. Okay. The presence or the visibility of posts from brand accounts is way down compared to what it was seven years ago or so. Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter, they, they all want us to pay. They all want the brands to pay for exposure, just like on any other platform. You know, they call it advertising, but the uh, presence of posts from individuals like yourself can be get a lot of visibility. And in some companies, you see a CEO or uh, some other senior executive who's become kind of the social media face of the company. Elon Musk probably has five times as many followers as Tesla does. Who don't Uh, advertise, of course, uh, as, as you know. Excuse so me. So he's who uh, uh, Tesla don't advertise. They don't spend dollars on traditional advertising. So they view earned media as the way to get the word out, and that is among other things his social account and media mentions and things like that. Yeah, well, he's brilliant at PR. I mean, shooting a sports car into space—that's that'll yeah. do it. That'll get you uh, the trend. Let's put it that way. Absolutely, that will. So, uh, do you see with your clients that? Or do you suggest to them that they focus more in terms of just posting? And we'll get to paid social in a, in a bit. But that something like thought leadership or content shares, that that be done through a few individuals? Or is that more typically done by their corporate accounts? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Let's just talk about what drives engagement maybe to start. Like fundamentally, it's it's great content. I, I think you would agree, right? Shooting a rocket, sh- uh, a car into space, for example, pretty good content. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and no, so noteworthy. For, for yeah. Sure. So regardless of how, how you how you distribute that content and what channels and what platforms, you know, it starts with the great content. And you know, companies and clients of mine that are really killing it on social start with great content. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking written word, spoken word, podcasts. We're talking video word or you know, video content. It's only three or four formats. So that's the starting point. And without that, you're you're kind of lost. And so that that's sort of the one of the key legs of the stool. I mean, the other is distribution. And and honestly, I think a lot of it is like you say with CEOs, internal first. It's employees, it's it's leadership, it's executives, it's managers. Gosh, it's even their marketing team. You know, if a company has a hundred marketing staff, why aren't they out there being brand advocates internally? 
right? So that's the next leg of the school. And the third leg are the platforms and the intricacies and pros and cons of each. And then really the, I, I would come in as, a, or influencers or analysts really come in as just a sort of rocket fuel to take, you know, that internal messaging and content and and uh, positioning and, and take it out to a wider audience than they could otherwise reach internally. Mm-hmm. How much do you see or how much are you recommending that and, and how much are the brands customizing or tailoring their content for the particular social media channel? Or do you know, they try to take the same thing and just slap it onto Facebook and Twitter and yeah, I think LinkedIn. I think there's been a lot of that, a lot of, um, frankly, due to uh, under, let's say, uh, staffing in these social digital departments, just trying to make best use of tools and scheduling to push stuff out with as little effort as possible. And really, each of these platforms is so unique and different and differentiated that each one requires a unique approach. I mean, I'm just really figuring out, you know, Instagram stories now. And I'm mm-hmm. quote unquote an expert, and uh, there are so many nuances and subtleties and tri- tricks and tactics and differences that if you don't develop your skills as a practitioner on each of those platforms, you're you're really missing the boat. And and so I try to do it, and I encourage my clients to to really immerse themselves versus just considering it, you know, like an AP Newswire they push out uh, their content to. Yeah, I saw Trevor Noah talk a few years ago at a an entertainment industry event that was sponsored by Variety. And he was talking about how when they were, when he took over the Daily Show and, you know, they had several months to plan what they were going to do before he actually became the host, that they saw social media not just as a place to post great clips from the program the night before, but they really kind of looked at how can we create the best content for each channel that we're on and what's the way to exploit Twitter or Instagram differently than broadcast cable. Yeah, and the companies that are doing it well are seeing tremendous results, but it's not always obvious and you, you can't, so there's no playbook. You can't sort of read the manual and figure it out. I mean, one thing I've discovered, like long form content, written content on Instagram, people like it. People will read several paragraphs. Really? Uh, yeah. How Imagine you, that. How do you put it on Instagram? You, in what? It, it, in text form. You know, people think of Instagram as a as a picture platform, which it is. Mm-hmm. But what performs best is copy, interesting copy, longer copy, and uh, video. And so, you know, each of these platforms might loan itself more or less to your audience, but you have to sort of be a practitioner. This is what I preach again and again. You can't phone this stuff in. You can't get the intern uh, to post and assume that you, you've got the base covered on, you know, your social media strategy. And- uh, that is definitely not one that I would have guessed. Uh, I, I do know that on LinkedIn, it appears that if you write a very long text-only post as opposed to an article, that those posts get much more visibility and, and shares and engagement than the LinkedIn articles do, which is, you know, funny because you would think they would want to promote their articles, but they seem to promote long text posts. And uh, those seem to perform very well on that platform too. Yeah. And long text without links, because they want you to stay on the platform. So there are all these, these sort of tricks and hacks that you need to, you know, get your hands around. Uh, Another one is LinkedIn Live. I mean, I have customers who are absolutely killing it on LinkedIn Live because they want to support and drive live engagement and views, and they want to be a media company, uh, Microsoft, that is, and and LinkedIn. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, companies, I'm I'm talking to companies getting tens of thousands of of 
of, of viewers on LinkedIn live broadcasts, which have just been sort of ra been ramped up over the last weeks and months. What are what are they broadcasting? Uh, they're broadcasting interviews. They're broadcasting, uh, you know, webinars. They're doing first person stuff. Uh, certain executives, you, you know, events covering events through uh, a LinkedIn Live lens. You know, a camera, a phone, mm -hmm. much like Facebook Live or Twitter Live slash Periscope or these other platforms, and, uh, and encouraging you know comments and questions. And you know, LinkedIn is really promoting algorithmically these these live events. Because of the issues of building a following and getting noticed on social media, I, I think of it as a long-term awareness and branding program or platform, not a short-term lead generation platform. And I would agree and disagree. So I, I think we could we could maybe uh, you know debate the, the, the that back and forth. For example, I, I encourage all my clients to eyeball, put an inside salesperson on each social media account who followed them. Who are they? You know, are they relevant? You know, can, and once they follow you, you can DM them. Can you get a meeting? Can you get a briefing? Can you sign them up to a newsletter? Can you invite them to an event? Can yeah. you sort of, you know, there are a lot of, of calls to action that can be done on social privately through direct messaging that people aren't leveraging and they're missing an opportunity, I think. Oh, absolutely. I had that. And I recommend that to my clients too. So when we post something and it may be a, a, a promoted post on LinkedIn, for example, who likes it or comments on it, those very much can be potential leads and that they, they have to follow up with those and they have to follow up really quickly because if you follow up a week later, no one is going to remember that they liked something. But if you follow up with it that day, it's still somewhat on their mind. We had an amazing, one of my clients had an amazing uh, situation where in the comments of a promoted post on LinkedIn, two people from a big company tagged one another and said, hey, this is what we were talking about just the other day. Maybe we should kick the tires. That's it was pure like, gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like unbelievable, you know? <laughs> and so right you know, that, that. that sort of engagement is happening everywhere to different degrees and different industries. And uh, it's amazing to me how many companies leave their social handles, frankly, unattended. And I test this. I, I, I engage with brands. I sometimes DM them. I'll share their stuff and tag them. I'll reply to them. I'll retweet with a comment. Uh, and it's obvious that it's it's not just they they don't reply. They're not listening. Yeah. Uh, they don't have either tools or the resources or the strategy. And uh, they've missed it. Okay. With my case, they've missed a chance for, you know, free media, for example. I uh, yeah, you know, I, who, who else knows, you know, who, who knows how many customer interactions or upsells or opportunities they're missing too. Right. I, I had a, a personal situation a few years ago with my medical insurance company, which was not willing to cover a emergency visit I had, and they claimed it was out of network. And I won't go into a lot of details, but it was ridiculous. I wrote up, because I write a lot, I wrote up a long blog post about it. And I shared it with one of the leading local Twitter people, Universal Hub in Boston, and he tweeted it out and it just went viral. I mean, right. people, were, people were just so pissed at this insurance company and they were utterly unaware that this was happening. They just had no social listening happening at all. Yeah. On the flip side, there are companies doing it really well. I mean, I bet if I, I tweeted at Southwest now, have a great day. I would get a reply in about eight seconds because they see, they see social as not just customer service, customer care, which it is for a lot of people. And when I say Twitter, I could be, be Facebook messenger. It could be, you know, pick your platform, but 
they see it as a revenue opportunity. I, I can upsell them. I can develop some kind of relationship. I can point them to an offer. I can sign them up to a mailing list. So airlines see it, you know, run their social listening and social media as a almost like a P&L in many cases. Yeah. Even if a company hasn't yet progressed to the point of having a great content program and, and lots of posts, they have to start with social listening. So I was saying, you know, one of the things I love is paid social because you can target so well. On LinkedIn, you can, in terms of B2B, you can target specific titles in specific companies or industries, company size, geography. I mean, you can really narrow it down to just who you want to get your message in front of and, and not waste it in, in front of a, a lot of other people. And you can upload your email lists and just target those people, whether those are lists of prospects or lists of current customers, and get your message uh, again in not just email, but now in another channel and start to do it in, in multiple channels. So I'm, I'm a big fan of paid social. Are you working with companies on their paid social programs too, or are you mostly focused on organic? Well, I'm, I'm working for the team that, that's running both. And those teams look at uh, the holistically, their, their social campaign. So I know one client, for example, spends $300,000 a month on paid social. Now they pay me a, a, a very, very, 5,000, a very, very small fraction of that. <laughs> but they recognize that despite the value they're getting from paid and the tremendous reach and the signups and the lead gen, they recognize there's a, an organic element they're not going to get through paid, which is the conversations, which is the analyst engagement, which is the, you know, the journalist community who are listening to me and you and others. And there's, there's an audience that isn't going to click to buy, Right. So yeah. I'm not I'm not out there trying to get people to click to buy anything. I'm not selling a product. I'm not, you know, I'm not a fashion influencer trying to get you to buy uh, XYZ, but I'm just talking about solutions in the industry and so that's the complementary side of paid social. Yeah, I use it sometimes, but that way but you know, sometimes I'm doing it to promote an event. Sometimes uh for example, I'm working with a startup and they have a product and I just want to over and over again get in front of their potential market just to get those three seconds of there's this new product this is what it does and this is what its name is and if you're in that industry and you're thinking about that particular problem this is maybe something you should be thinking about so and they're going to see our ads on social media they're going to see our ads in trade publications and trade websites and remarketing ads and the trade show booth looks pretty much the same, so that it just creates a consistent brand presence for that company. And hopefully at some point when the person's interested in that or when they're walking past the trade show booth, they're going to say, well, that looks familiar. I've been seeing that for the last few months. Maybe I should actually find out now what this, what this thing is. Yeah, familiarity is a huge part. And, you know, people talk about strong connections, you know, your, your, traditionally your Rolodex, you know, your, you know, we used to talk about, you know, our, our, our network. And that's the <clears> that. Important, but there's there's the notion of weak connections. You know, my followers, I virtually all of whom I don't know, but they're sort of weak connections. But there's value in those weak connections as well as the strong connections as part of that customer journey. Yeah, and, and that's part of it. The other side is events. I agree. I mean, it, people really tune into the event hashtag before, during, and even after the event is finished because that really is the water cooler where people are having conversations who are there, who are not there. 
and it's sort of the the whole event really coalesces around that hashtag. Interestingly, with events being canceled, I'm seeing clients flip that whole engagement online and mm -hmm. uh, through webinars, through live stream uh, roundtables, through Twitter chats are, are are really able to replicate some of that visibility and engagement in lieu of the live in-person event. One client in particular had an open house in Silicon Valley invited a number of influencers and analysts and their leadership team for a sort of day event. And their Twitter live broadcast had about 80,000 views. And this is not a big company, by the way. Mm. So it really is through a virtual setting. You, you can reach a pretty vast audience and it, you know it's not going to replace a CES or a, uh, you know, pick your big uh, enterprise IT event in Vegas, but it, it, it's, it's better than, you know, having it canceled and not doing anything. So there's a real shift in interest in virtual. Yeah. Well, I've also used event hashtags to interject myself into the conversation of an event, even if I'm, I'm not there. A few years ago, I did a, a long piece analyzing some of the marketing work, especially around inbound of, of HubSpot. And I deliberately released it during the HubSpot uh, inbound conference. And I used the inbound hashtag to have it get attention from people who were at that conference. And it was very successful. I got lots of people reading and sharing and commenting that piece. Yeah, and if brands are smart, which some of them are, you, you can really dominate the share of voice around that event, hashtag, and the event itself, and do it in a way that, that's pretty spectacular. I mean, just for personal anecdote, I was at CES this year in January, and just through you know, massive engagement and uh, a lot of uh, obviously posting and live streaming and blogging and tweeting and other things, I was pretty much the number one social media influencer at CES at about 400 million impressions. It's about 5% of the overall share of voice at CES. And I'm just one person. You know, imagine if, if it has an, if brands smart, smarten up and, and really take off the shackles that uh, they put on themselves when it comes to social media, what they can do. That's a pretty amazing number. So one of the things you mentioned before, Evan, was uh, connecting with social with industry influencers and others. So if someone, if a channel partner, because that's what this is about, or a, a, par, a channel leader, wanted to connect with a particular person in a company, you know, possibly a prospect, some possibly for some other reason, uh, assuming that that person is on LinkedIn or Twitter. How do, how do they go about doing that? How do they initiate those kinds of relationships? Well, I do it every day uh, through prospecting. I, I'm a salesperson for myself, so I'm always networking and opening doors. I sort of look at it as a multi-touch approach. You, you know, you follow someone on LinkedIn, you follow their content. You know, if they're sharing posts or if they, they have content on their profile, you, you share it, you engage with it, you comment, ask questions, get their attention. You can then use the paid uh, messaging feature to uh, to reach out and introduce yourself and maybe give some value, and but I'll ask for a meeting or a briefing, or coffee or lunch. And then, mm -hmm. do, by the way, do that on Twitter. <laughs> Find their, their Twitter handle. I mean, Twitter search is fantastic. You can search names and keywords and hashtags and, and really find someone pretty easily and do the same uh, over time too, right? So uh, sort of trying to build a relationship. And then do the same on Facebook and Instagram. And so there are many ways to reach people now. That's certainly in sales and biz dev. That's no longer the problem is how to find uh, someone. I found CEOs on, on who I've gotten in touch with on Facebook Messenger of all places, you know. <laughs> that's like the one channel they've responded to. And, you know, obviously they're not looking at their email. 
Yeah. Uh, and the good old fashioned phone call, right? So I, I don't make too many cold calls, but back in the day, it's still another touch point. So I think you have to think holistically about prospecting and selling and even marketing. And that includes, you know, all the sort of the, and, and it's a numbers game, of course. You know, if I send a uh, hundred direct messages on Twitter, I know I'm going to get uh, personalized. I know I'm going to get maybe 25 responses and, and, you know, seven or eight conversations going. So, you know, you have to know what your numbers are. Those are pretty good numbers. I, you know, most salespeople who are cold calling or cold outreaching don't come anywhere near those kinds of numbers. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I think the companies that are doing it well rely on all these channels, not just the traditional phone call, mm-hmm. you know, and they integrate, they integrate uh, outreach on social and, and LinkedIn, which of course is a social selling machine with the live call, you know, with the uh, content marketing approach. And you know, that's kind of the way, uh, the sort of best practice these days. Yeah, I had an example of that. Oh, this was maybe a year ago when I was just starting the podcast. I saw that Jay McBain, Forrester's channels analyst, was very active on Twitter. And I tweeted to him a link to a piece that I had written about the channel uh, that had been published by one of the industry publications. And he read it and he responded. And we had, you know, um, initiated a relationship. He's a very open, he's very active on social media. You know, within a few days, he had agreed to be a guest on the podcast. That was the most downloaded episode last year. And he was just a guest on the podcast again just a few weeks ago. So, the, uh, you know, that's just one example of the one-to-one possibilities of social media. Yeah, and I think you also gave something, right? I mean, you gave him a forum, you you gave him a spotlight, you promoted him, you're a very influential voice. And, you, you, you know, you were giving him something of value. Right. And so I think on social and, you know, that's what's different with cold calling. You're not just asking for something, you know, asking for their time or a meeting. On social, you can give, you can add value in terms of comments and shares and likes, and you can uh, give compliments. And, and then, you know, as over time, be in a position to ask for something. And I think that's sort of the dynamic now for me in sales anyway. So, uh, you know, when, when I interviewed you last time, you said you tend to work in very niche tech markets and your approach might be different if you were marketing mass consumer products. But what about channel programs? You have some experience in the channel. Any shoot from the hip social media strategies for people who might be listening to this and are heading up software channel programs? Yeah, I would say certainly I see channels and of all kinds, certainly in my space, which is telecom and networking and sort of cloud, as super active. I mean, these channel partners and managed service providers and integrators are as hungry and active on social as everyone else is, maybe even more so because they, they need leads and they need opportunities. And so if you can come in and help them in some way or add some value to their marketing or sales or channel go-to-market that's a big win, not just uh, sort of using them as a way to sell your product. Uh, like Channel Partners Expo. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty much who's who in the channel world are using digital and social for the, for the, in their own right. And yeah, so how can you listen to who these companies are, build a list of, okay, the top 100, 500,000 companies in the channel and really get to know them through social media, whether it's LinkedIn and Twitter or, or elsewhere. Yeah, one of the, you were talking about uh, working with telecom and I mean, every industry is starting to become a tech industry. You know, software is getting into more and more uh, industries, but definitely unified communication as a service, UCAS. You know, I've had a number of guests on the podcast who are channel leaders in that industry, which is kind of right down in the area that you work in a lot. Right, 
Right. And, um, you know, the, uh, there's a lot of commoditization out there. So one way you you can avoid being commoditized is don't have commodity content and a commodity social strategy or a commodity uh, uh, sales approach. So try to, you know, help your channel partners with things like education and uh, marketing dollars or, you know, even social media campaigns, you know, things like you can help boost their business uh, mm-hmm. and in turn help, your, help you be successful. So what kinds of tools do you use? Um, I don't know if you want to mention any of your favorites or just categories of tools that you use for listening, for measuring, for engaging. On, yeah, on I, I find, media. you know, HubSpot, I, I really, uh, you know, recommend to clients. HubSpot, and, you said? Yeah, HubSpot's obviously a, a fantastic platform uh, okay. for social listening and media mentions and research and uh, data and analytics. Uh, Brand24 is a pretty great tool. and that's what I use to sort of measure my impact at events. Uh, I use Buffer on a daily basis for scheduling and pushing out content to multiple platforms. Uh, but then it's really in the in the clients, you know, in the apps and the social media apps themselves. I think that's where you kind of have to spend an inordinate amount of time to really make an impact. Yeah, I, I agree. There's only so far you can be as a strategist without in digital media in general, digital marketing in general without really uh, getting your hands dirty and, and being a practitioner too, because there's just so much of the success of digital media is in the execution and the, and the tactics and the day-to-day back and forth of it. So let me ask you something. Uh, this is kind of something that I've uh, sometimes, you know, uh, when I'm hiring people that I'll ask them, but put in the context of, of your work, what's a social media campaign or program that you worked on that you think was especially successful, something that you're especially proud of? Yeah, a good one was with Intel and a number of their 5G rollouts, where I was um, not just sharing and curating their key content, but doing live interviews in both audio and video form of executives getting sort of hot takes and clips and B-roll and first impressions you know, live blogging and live tweeting the event to get beyond, you know, the media scrum and get the word out beyond the in-person event. Uh, And then doing things, you know, really live and dynamic, like at the show, you know, at the show floor, you know, capturing content in all forms and sharing it in real time. A lot of these companies have media teams and PR teams but everything is very slick and polished and planned and and, uh, reviewed and approved. And sometimes these big companies have trouble getting the word out fast and at scale, even a big company like Intel uh, in the moment. And so yeah. a lot of what analysts and influencers can do is, is to do a bunch of storytelling and live, let's say, documenting what's happening in ways that they just can't do themselves because they have all kinds of internal bureaucracy. Right. Especially a big company like Intel. So what what's the flip side of that? What's a social media campaign or program that you worked on that that failed and why do you think that was what did you learn from it you know i think i think what fails are are i you know i get sucked into uh, a quick kind of call to action campaigns you know i want i want sales tomorrow or i want i want to sell this many of x you know books you know or i want to i want someone to, to, to click this link and join this and, and get out their credit card and sign up you know, for an event from your post, you know, and I just, I've found several times that's failed to deliver 
because it's not what my audience are interested in. They're interested in education and insights and entertainment to some degree. And, and oh, by the way, you know, there's a chance that, you know, they might, you know, click on a, a landing page and sign up. But that, those sort of short-term tactical actions, I found at least personally for me, just don't work. What about downloads, sign up for webinars, those kinds of content yeah, I think offers? What, yeah, definitely if it's uh, combined with a compelling piece of content, like I'll do short and medium term blogging on my LinkedIn page that's sponsored with, you know, a click at the end to to sign up or to join. So the content is associated closely with the landing page or the sign up sheet. So people are getting some value, right, in terms of the content that's relevant or interesting and then agreeing to give something. And I found that works, uh, that, that's worked out well. But if it's just the link, sign up here, you know, join today, uh, not not so much. Yeah, okay. So what about Evira Health? Is that significantly different from the other work that you've been doing? Um, yeah, I, or... I found a couple of collaborators, including Irma Rastagaiva here in the Boston area. And we're going after the healthcare and health tech marketplace, uh, which is very different universe, as, as you know, than the rest of enterprise tech and enterprise IT. So next week, uh, depending on when this airs, but it uh, could be uh, this week, uh, we'll be at HIMSS, which is the health IT show uh, in the country. It's where, you know, the hospitals and the healthcare providers and the IT world come together to talk about uh, patients and security and privacy and data, data security and all those topics that are relevant in a sort of digital health world. And so I, uh, Irma and I work with clients uh, like Intersystems and, and others in Boston to uh, position and promote them at the event and to capture content and participate in the buzz of the whole uh, HIMSS uh, event. Okay. So what should I have asked you that I didn't? What keeps you up at night? Well, you know, I really wonder about, you know, the stability of some of these platforms. Twitter is pretty much peaked, I think, and it's, uh, you know, uncertain future. Uh, You know, the algorithms are always changing and and, uh, shifting. And uh, I I do wonder, you know, long-term, what the next big thing is in social. Is it going to be, you know, some sort of virtual VR social or is it going to be a platform that maybe I missed or aren't participating in? Do I need to be a TikTok influencer? You know, you know, there are ideas like that. <laughs> right. But um, given the long tail of B2B and how slowly it moves, I, I, I don't too, lose too much sleep over it. So why do you think Twitter has peaked? You know, they've done a really poor job at keeping up uh, on some levels. They, they've, uh, they've had a terrible problem with bots and uh, abuse and yeah. have turned off a large segment of the audience. You know, there are sort of fresher, newer, more interesting destinations uh, uh, around for for younger folks from Instagram to TikTok. You know, they're just not growing for a variety of reasons. They've had, you could do a dissertation on a business case study on the rise and sort of inevitable slow fall of of Twitter. Ironically, I think, you know, the political scene in POTUS have probably reinvigorated Twitter to some degree. Which may be to some consternation or listening to that. But, you know, it can be a pretty toxic place. I mean, the beauty of, of, of social for B2B is you, you, we don't see a lot of that toxicity, right? I mean, there's, you know, enterprise tech is not too controversial. It doesn't generate a huge amount of spam and hate. Or, but outside of that, there's a lot of terrible stuff going on on these networks and misogyny and sexism and other things. And, and that turns a, pe- a lot of people off. So and part of uh, the overall challenge in growing. Yeah, Twitter definitely has a toxicity problem, a harassment problem, and you hear it over and over again, even from people who stay on the platform if they're vocal, uh, especially if they're vocal around politics 
or anything related to kind of value things <laughs> at, at some point or another they may make a statement and they'll say you know you wouldn't believe the hundreds or thousands of uh tweets that have been thrown at me in the last day yeah it's crazy and, and linkedin largely doesn't have that which is kind of nice you have real verified identities they've never had apis on linkedin where people can generate large numbers of fake accounts and Mm-hmm. create all kinds of, um, of uh, issues around around bots and manipulation. And so I think, um, you know, LinkedIn for me is sort of my go-to platform and Twitter is, uh, is sort of a complementary platform. Yeah, it's interesting. Although I saw someone post on Twitter the other day that they thought Twitter had become much more interesting than LinkedIn for them and uh, LinkedIn had become boring. But well, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, everyone has a different view. I think there are things that happen on each of these platforms that are unique to the platform. Like mm-hmm. there's content, there's, there's events, there's things, there's, there's insights people share there that you wouldn't see anywhere else. So that's why I think each of these platforms is unique. And, you know, the media is obsessed with Twitter, right? I mean, journalists and the media. And so if you want that media engagement and analyst and, and sort of journalist blogger engagement, that's kind of the, where they live for better or worse. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Okay. So Evan, if people want to talk to you about what you do um, or the things we've been talking about today, how can they contact you? Just follow me or or DM me at Evan, E-V-A-N-K-I-R-S-T-E-L on Twitter or LinkedIn and happy to engage. Yeah. And we'll put that into the, the program notes on the revenueassociates.biz website. So snail mail is not the best way you're saying. Only if you're trying to send <laughs> me a uh, used car offer, then I'm I'm all ears. Okay. But, but otherwise, uh, y- y- yeah, I think uh, I think social media is probably the best bet. Okay. So thank you for joining us today, Evan. It was a blast, as always. I usually send guests a copy of my Bullseye Marketing book in appreciation, but since you're in it, you've already received a copy. I have it right here, which you can't see. It's the podcast, so I could be lying or not, but <laughs> I, 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 I do appreciate uh, the mentions in the book. That, that was a real blast. You know, I could send you one to donate to your local library if you want to. It, it was recently named one of the best marketing plan books of all time. And given how hard it is to to be an author these days, that's, that's awesome. So uh, thanks and thank you listeners for listening to the Software Channel Partner Podcast. And please subscribe and listen to future episodes.